your blood flowing? Yeah, thank you guys for leading us in that. Our text of emphasis today is found in the book of Acts, chapter 5. As you know, if you've been around here for the last couple of weeks, we are in the midst of our winter teaching series on this story that uh, we read in Acts. And so today, again, we're looking at Acts, chapter 5 and verse 17. While you're getting to that on your smartphones, let me remind you, as Kyle will do later. By the way, don't you like how Kyle dressed like me today? <laughs> Somebody missed the memo to not wear the maroon and gray suit. Anyway, um, I want to remind you that uh, this afternoon we will have a continuation of our time with our, our Acts uh, teaching time at 2.30 this afternoon, so stick around for the meal and you can come and join Sarah King. Sarah, just wave your arms if you don't mind, or arm. Only one arm is necessary. Yeah. So Sarah will be leading our afternoon uh, continuation of the study of the subject of Acts. So we're looking at Acts chapter 5 and verse 17, and it reads there this. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to, sent for the jail, sent to the jail for the, the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened that, the doors, we found no one inside. On hearing this, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At this, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared that the people would stone them. And so the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders to not teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him, exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is, this the, Holy, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored above all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for just a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people to revolt. He, too, was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. 
let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God himself. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged, and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider this story, help us to understand what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a pretty um, outstanding narrative. Uh, locked in the jail uh, because they were doing great work. What we didn't read here in this narrative is that just before this, the disciples had been healing and uh, doing many miracles among the people. And so uh, the people were uh, very excited about what was going on. And the, the religious political party, the Sadducees, who were then in charge, were very jealous and so uh, we have them getting the uh, dis disciples into uh, jail. And so the story begins with a, an angel coming in the dark of night, as it were, and letting the disciples out. And so they are told then to go back to the court and start preaching ag again. And so as uh, daylight uh, comes, the religious leaders go for their meeting and recognize that disciples are nowhere to be found, and yet they are found back preaching in the courtyard. Now, we have a very interesting kind of thing going on here. If, if you remember, these are the same disciples who are now so bold and fearless who just a few months before had been very, very uh, timid. In fact, on the night of Jesus' death, uh, each and every one of these same disciples had uh, left, had run away, in fact, from Jesus, had been very fearful. And Peter, who's the chief spokesman here in this case, uh, was also one who denied Jesus himself three times. And while around a campfire, when a young person asked him his name, he called down curses, denying his own identity. And so this leads us to our question today. What took uh, these guys from being timid and fearful to the fearless people that we see in Acts chapter 5. So back in the gospel story on the night of Jesus' death, they are just full of fear, so much so that they would deny their own identity and their own belief in Jesus to this point where they are fearless, willing to be uh, arrested, go to prison, and then to go to prison again. What took them from being fearful to uh, fearless? Well, clearly, a lot of things had happened in the interim between that time Jesus uh, had been arrested in this time. First of all, Jesus had indeed been killed. Uh, then after three days, uh, he rose again. And in fact, these guys got the opportunity to hang out with Jesus for nearly uh, 40 days. And uh, during that time, of course, walked and talked together, learned more. And then they saw with their very own eyes, Jesus rise up into the clouds, into the sky. After that, 10 days went by. They were praying one uh, day and during the, the season of Pentecost, and God's Spirit came down on them, and they were enabled to speak in languages that they had never learned. 
And then from that point on, they healed. In fact, in just a few chapters before this, we uh, read that uh, Peter healed a man who was unable to walk, and now they were continuing to do uh, healings and miraculous signs. So a lot of things had happened to them uh, between the time of Jesus' death at night when they were so fearful, and now their boldness and their fearlessness. And so this experience somewhat explains what happened and what made these men so uh, fearless. Uh, but if we're honest today and we think about what's happened sp specifically in the church, but maybe in the culture at large, and we recognize that in the 2,000 years that have taken place since the newborn church that we're looking at here today, we recognize that the church really hasn't kept up this attitude of uh, fearlessness that we see in the first century. I mean, there's a general sense, of course, of nervousness and anxiousness in the world uh, today with all of the, the political things going on. And uh, Christians have uh, not shunned that uh, fear, but have in many ways embraced that fear, if not uh, perpetuated that. And so as a church who's thinking about here in this community of believers, who's thinking about what our role is in this city and in this uh, country, in this uh, world, we have to wrestle with the fact that uh, Christians today uh, oftentimes fall on the side of fearful, not fearless. And in, in some respects, again, perpetuating fear more than overcoming a fear. And so we have to reconcile ourselves with what's going on. Maybe another story here that uh, resonates with this. In Matthew chapter 8, we have the disciples and Jesus, and they're in a boat together. And this is Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23. And it says that uh, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat but Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples went and woke him and said, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? That's our existential question today. Why are we so afraid? Why are you so afraid, Jesus said. Then he got up, and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this, even the winds and the waves obey him. The reality is that as uh, Christians and as a church, we are oftentimes too consumed with being fearful to act fearlessly. And so we've got to wrestle with the what, why are we so afraid? By the way, I resonate with that, uh, with that story. I mean, I have never been in a boat and feared for my life, but uh, I'm not a huge fan of turbulence on an airplane. And, uh, I mean, I've had a chance to fly around the world, and turbulence still makes me very nervous. Am I alone? And anybody else get a little bothered by the turbulence? I mean, I know what's going on scientifically, like hot air and cold air, and, but still, when that plane starts getting crazy, I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. <laughs> um, so I get what's going on here. I mean, if, if, if the plane feels like it's going down, I'm waking up Jesus and being like, whoa, you got to help us here. And so I resonate with these guys, but Jesus' response is profound. You of little faith. Now, I think this is a rational fear. I mean, if the boat, if the water's coming over the boat and it feels like it's going to sink, they weren't being irrational in my mind to think we are in danger, but Jesus is very clear. You are of little faith. Why are you so afraid? And so this is our existential question today. Why is everyone, particularly those who claim to be followers of Jesus, why are we so afraid? Now, 
maybe a little uh, high school psychology to uh, help us out here. Do you guys remember Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs? I've got the, I got the chart. Maybe you studied some psychology in high school or college and you remember this. There's an even better version of this. It's the next one, which I think really resonates probably with most of us. Uh, let's go back to Maslow's original, and this is from his 1943 paper, Our Theory of Human Motivation, in, that was uh, published in the Psychological Review, again, back in 1943. And basically, this framework has helped sociologists and people actually in many fields to kind of get a better understanding of what, what is going on and why people are afraid. And basically, he made the case that you, you have these kind of different levels of fear, and until these are different levels of need, and until each of these are met, um, we as humans are going to experience some uh, trepidation in life. So, for example, with your physical needs, which would be, you know, obviously the basics, air, water, food, uh, sleep, like if you're not getting those things, that's going to create or you're incapable of getting those things, that's gonna create fear in your experience. And so you've gotta have the physical needs taken care of to really be at peace with yourself and with your surroundings. And then you have to have your safety needs taken care of. If you feel like your personal uh, security is, is in danger or your financial uh, security, I mean, you know, with the, the market crashes tomorrow um, and you've got a lot invested, that's going to affect your your safety, that uh, your, your well-being. And so that has to be taken care of for us to feel secure and not to feel a fear. Uh, further, he goes on that your social needs need to, to be taken care of. You have to have people around you that are there to support you, uh, friends or, or intimate relationships or family. They've got to be there for you. You need that. And if you don't have that, you're, you're going to feel, you're going to experience some fear. And finally, he said, and these were all part of what he called the deficiency needs, things that if you're deficient in are going to create this fear in your experience that you have to have esteem at some level. You have to feel uh, dignified. You have to feel like you have some kind of an achievement, of achievement in this world. And if you don't feel that, feel that or you're lacking that, there again, there's going to be a fear of, of not having that. And then Finally, the fi final level is what he called the self-actualization, and that is beyond the deficiency needs that we, we all want to be able to grow and learn and have the opportunity to do that, and if we don't have those needs fulfilled as well, we're going to be dissatisfied. We're not going to be at peace. And so, as I was thinking about today and coming here and sharing with you and remembering my, my high school psychology, the reality is that these are legitimate things. We need our physical needs taken care of. We need our, to feel safe and secure. We need uh, to have people around us to help us. We need uh, esteem. We need to feel that we're being treated with dignity and, and that we have achievement in our experience. And so these are uh, legitimate needs. There are things that we, we definitely have to have. And so how, with this reality, do, again, we deal with fear? Do we have to have all of these things perfectly met in our life to experience uh, peace? Well, Jesus uh, himself shows us that, uh, no, this is not, not the case, that you can have peace even when all of these needs are not met. And so in many ways, Jesus uh, challenges uh, this. So again, these are legitimate things, the legitimate needs we have, but uh, Jesus shows that you can have peace 
that you can live without fear even when all of your, your needs, all of these needs are not met. We remember the story of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we have Jesus uh, himself going into the desert. This is after his baptism, and I'll read chapter 4 and verse 1. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was hungry. His physical needs were not met. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So Jesus is experiencing physical uh, need, and the tempter knows this is a, a, a great time to, to get him to do something that is going to affect his ability to, to rescue humanity. And so Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so he... he uh, turns against this, this uh, argument of the devil. In verse 5, it says the devil took him to the holy city and had, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. His, his safety is in danger. He's at a high place. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift him up uh, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him again. It is also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. So we see Jesus challenged on his physical needs and his safety needs. Finally, again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. And so again, we see here Jesus' social needs. The devil comes and says, you can have the whole world. You have all the friends and, and, and you can have all the rulership that you want. You get the, the social needs and you get the esteem needs. You get the achievement. You got all the friends you can imagine and you've got all the esteem because you are ruling them. And Jesus uh, rejected the, this offer time and time again. And so we see that Jesus was confronted with his own uh, needs and the needs that we experience and yet still was able to live without Fear. He didn't have those basic needs met, and he was still able to live without fear. But this leaves us with the question, how does Jesus, not having fear in this situation, help you and me? Because if you put me in Jesus' position here, the likelihood is that I'm changing the bread, the, the stone to bread. So how does Jesus' work help uh, me? I mean, telling me not to be afraid when I have existential needs is really not uh, enough. I mean, if I uh, could do what Jesus did, I would have already done that, and we would all be, and you would be talking about me and how awesome I am in being fearless. But that's not the the case. Or you, the reality is when you are when you are confronted with your needs, that you probably have experienced fear. And so how does Jesus' lack of fear help us to be fearless? That's what we're uh, getting at. Well, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, we read uh, this. How does Jesus being fearless help our fearfulness? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says that since the children have flesh and blood, since God's kids have flesh and blood, he too shared in our humanity. 
so that by his death he might make, break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, that same one who tempts us to, to be fearful when our needs are not being met. He, he, he has come to break the power of death, that is from the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So Jesus' coming, Jesus' work, Jesus' fearlessness was designed to help us to also become a fearless, to not live with fear, to live at peace. Surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made just like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The principle here is that God came in Jesus and did what we could not do. When, he, when his needs were challenged, he lived fearlessly. Because he did that and he lived as we could not, he is empowered to give us power to live the ways that we cannot. God is able to help us, to work in us, and as we embrace his work, we are given something that is outside of our ability, but we can have peace in situations and circumstances that are not naturally peaceful. When our needs are not met, we can still be at peace. We can still live with fear. I mean, this is what happened with the disciples. They were arrested. That's a situation that should have brought fear in their experience. They were, the, 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 the high priest was like, we got to kill these guys. And yet they are still living fearlessly. How does that happen? It wasn't just that they had experienced all of these things and they had seen great things that happened. God had done something through Jesus that enabled them as they embraced his work to work inside of their experience and give them what they did not have, fearlessness. God works inside of people who are open to being worked in. Listen, some of you are scared today. You've come here because you're experiencing uh, some of the needs, whether it's the basic needs of food or shelter or water or more likely financial needs or relationship needs, and you are afraid. The good news of the message today is that God wants to give you fearlessness. He wants you to live at peace, and he'll do this in two ways. Either he will change the circumstances for you, he will provide for your needs, or he will change your perspective. He's either going to change your circumstances. If you have a need, he's going to meet that need, or he's going to change your perspective. I mean, look what happens to the disciples in verse 41 of chapter 5. They left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So they are, they, they are removed from the situation. By the way, they're, they're, they're flogged, so they're, they're tortured a little bit before they, they go. But they go right back out, and they rejoice because they have been counted worthy of suffering for the, name, for the name. Now, this is not normal. This is not a normal reaction to experiencing a need, right? God has changed their perspective. Usually, if you're sent to prison, and you're falsely accused, and then you're tortured for it, you are not going to be at peace. But because God is working in them, doing what they could not do for themselves, changing their, their perspective, they have a whole new way of looking at the world, including the suffering that they're going through. 
They rejoiced because they were, worth, they were counted worthy to suffer on behalf of the name. God changes your perspective. So either he removes the, 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 the circumstance or changes the circumstance, or he changes your perspective. That's how he deals with fear in our experience. So you here today, you may be afraid. God is he's going to change your experience, he's going to fill the need, or he's going to change your perspective. I mean, and that, I don't know about you, but that makes me a little bit nervous because I would much prefer him to change the circumstances. You guys with me here? Just, I, just, I need this, just fill that need. This is a, an, an essential need. I need this, just fill that, this need. But sometimes that doesn't happen. I mean, this is the great truth of the Christian faith. Sometimes bad stuff is going to happen to you. There's no promise that every need is going to be filled. That never, ever is promised. But God changes our perspective so that we can deal with the bad stuff and still move forward fearlessly. All of the disciples, all of them, experienced all kinds of bad stuff. And sometimes it wasn't their circumstance that got changed, it was their perspective. They were able to deal with bad situations fearlessly because God was at work inside of them. And so if you're here today, I wish I could tell you, and you're experiencing fear, I wish I could tell you, hey, don't worry about it. God is going to change your perspective. And if you just pray more, He's going to get everything together and your life is going to be set up. You know, we like to talk about being blessed. I'm blessed. And for blessed, for us, blessed means everything's great. God put everything in order. Thank God. I'm blessed. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Bad stuff happens even to the greatest people. In those cases, God changes your perspective. Those guys left just getting beaten. And we're praising God that they were able, they were counted worthy. Now you could say, man, that is some crazy psychosis going on. What is wrong with them? But this is how it works. This is the message of the gospel that he's either going to change the circumstances, he's going to change you. He's going to change your perspective. In Romans chapter 8, another apostle, who actually wasn't an apostle at the time that we read in, Roman, in Acts chapter 5, but became one through his own journey. This is the Apostle Paul. He writes these words about, about suffering and fear. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's really clear. Look, you're going to experience some bad stuff. But if you've embraced God's work in Jesus, God will work in you and give you peace despite what you're going through. Now, I recognize some of you are nervous. This, this, this is to all of us here, right? All of us have been nervous about things. All of us have things probably right now that we are afraid about. We all have fears, every single one of you here. I'm, I'm, I, have, I have fears. We all have fears, but the good news of the gospel is that God wants to work in us, and it might not mean he's going to change our, our situation, our circumstances. It might need, mean that he's going to need to change you, and he's going to need to change me, and that my perspective will be different, and that I can live at peace despite challenging circumstances, despite being hungry, despite being in need, despite not having all of our finances in, in gear. I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, 
Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love transcends any, everything. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And God's love is so powerful that it will be able to cast out a fear. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out or casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The idea here, again, is that, hey, when God starts working in you, when you embrace the work of Jesus, that God may change your circumstances, but if your circumstances don't change, he will change your perspective, and that perspective will cast out, will drive out fear. So even if you are experiencing needs that usually would create anxiety and fear. God is able to cast out that fear so that you can face things that, that create anxiety with fearlessness. This is the promise of the gospel. It's not that everything's going to be okay. You're going to get everything that you want, and you're going to be blessed. The blessing comes that God changes you. So I, again, I don't know what you're going through. I guarantee that every one of us has fears and, and things that we're nervous about. But the good news of the gospel is that God wants to cast out and drive out that fear and to give you peace despite your circumstances. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, the apostle Peter says. To the work of Jesus, may fear be driven out in each of us today and may we become a people of fearlessness, not because everything is going our way. That's easy. Everything's going your way. You don't have a fear. No problem. But may we be people who are fearless despite our needs not always being met in the way that we would like. So may God do his work in us and make us fearless today. Amen.